Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. Got a terrific episode for you. Double episode. Well, not not a double episode. We've got two wonderful comics on this week's installment of the Comedy Castle Podcast. Our headliner this weekend, one of my personal favorites, Brad Wenzel. Had a terrific conversation with Brad, and it was so good catching up with him. And then also, Drew Harmon is on this week's show. Drew is a comic originally from the west side of Michigan, did several years out on the west coast in San Francisco in particular, is now back here. He's a terrific comic, terrific guy. Really enjoyed my conversation with him as well. Bring those interviews to you shortly. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on at the castle this week, a busy week as ever. And holy cow, it is so strange looking at my Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle calendar and seeing June in front of my eyes. Somehow, some way, we have trundled through the first part of this year. Did you know that June is my favorite month? You're going to hear you're going to hear me mention it quite a bit on this month's on uh, these episodes this month because I absolutely love 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 the month of June. It's a terrific month and we've got a lot of great comedy coming your way. With that being said, let's take care of what's happening this week at the Comedy Castle. Wednesday, June 1st at 7.30 p.m. It is Brett Hayden's The Battle of the Roastings. Bunch of Detroit comics going up against a bunch of Ann Arbor comics. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be bloody. It will be hilarious. Brett Hayden has been a frequent contributor to this show. And many of you know, Brett Hayden puts on terrific shows. This one will be one of them. So again, tomorrow. Or, I guess today, depending upon when this posts and when you're listening to it, June 1st, 7.30 p.m., Brett Hayden's Battle of the Roastings. And then, this week's guest, our headliner, Brad Wenzel, in town Thursday the 2nd through Saturday the 4th for a total of four shows. Just a little bit of heads up, we modify the schedule slightly here in the summer months. We usually pare the weekend down to five, or excuse me, four shows from five. Here are the showtimes for Brad, uh, starting off on Thursday the 2nd, 7.30 p.m., Friday the 3rd at 7.15, and then on Saturday the 4th, the early show is 7 p.m., the late show is 9.30 p.m. Call the castle at 248-542-9900 for all your ticketing questions and needs. Better yet, go straight to the Comedy Castle website at ComedyCastle.com. You can get all of your tickets right there. It's really simple, and we sure hope to see you out at one of the shows this weekend supporting Brad Wenzel. Let me set up. Let me set up Brad's interview first, and then uh, and then we'll set up Drew's interview. Brad is simply one of the best, brightest shooting stars on the Detroit scene in my time on the scene. Uh, if my math is correct. Brad jumped on the scene about 10 years ago, maybe slightly before that. And from a very, very early point, you could tell that he was somebody who had it. However you define it, Brad had it and does have it. Extraordinarily unique point of view, great joke writer, awesome delivery. And on top of all that, just a real solid guy. Did many shows with Brad over the years. He's an easy guy to pull for, and I can assure you, just about everyone in our scene here in the Detroit area in Southeast Michigan pulled for Brad. He's got three Conan appearances under his belt. I can remember the watch parties that we had on his first uh, appearance back in 2016. It was so exciting to see Brad 
uh, on Conan, three awesome Conan sets. He's also got a terrific album put out by Third Man Records called Sweet Nothings. I really enjoyed revisiting Sweet Nothings in preparation of our discussion. We had a little bit of audio difficulties. Uh, We had to kind of edit and patch together and Frankenstein monster this thing. Uh, But it was a really good conversation. We're going to pick it up kind of talking about the Conan experiences and the validation they bring. Sure hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Brad Wenzel, everyone. So I wanted to talk to you uh, about the Conan experiences because in in my circle of, of people I knew and people I did shows with, you were the very first person to get a Conan. And that, it was uh, about 2016, was that the time frame the first one was? Yeah, January 2016 was when I did that one. And the excitement in our scene, you know, there there were watch parties for it, and everyone was so happy and excited for you. Did you feel, as a, as, as a new comic at that time, the validation of a Conan experience, did, did that alone mean a lot to you with friends and family members and maybe even your parents say, hey, this isn't just a crazy dream? Yeah, that... But that that's one of the cool things about uh doing like late night like that is it's it's um it is yeah it's it's a lot of a lot of validation uh more than anything and i think it it really it validates you to yeah people who like might not follow comedy or know a lot about comedy because then like they just look at you as like oh you must be like a professional then mm-hmm. uh because that's just like in in general, like an institution that's been around so long that you can just say, um, you know, he was on late night or he was on Conan and, and people know what that means. Right. Uh, usually. So it does. Yeah. It, you, Cause there's, yeah, there's an element of comedy where you always are kind of like, if you're not famous, you're always kind of justifying or explaining right. <laughs> that you're not crazy. Uh, so like, even like for like with my wife and stuff, like if she meets because her husband's a comedian and they're like oh yeah. <laughs> and then she could be like he's he's been on conan a few times and stuff and then they're like oh okay and then they're like all right he's not like he's not nuts well i've i've certainly have have never been validated with the experience of 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 a late night set but from where i started to where i am i feel like i've accomplished some things and i still have like pe- my sister-in-law a couple weeks ago asked me if i was still doing that thing <laughs> she 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 capsulized 13 years of blood sweat and tears and eating shit in front of strangers into that thing and it just is like oh my gosh some people i suppose right. will never be validated i mean even even with your success uh you, you were always such a likable person though that that i, I think that um you have that going for you obviously you'd be a very hard person to root against but i suppose there's always cynical people out there it's like oh he's never gonna make it you know as it whatever making it is right and it's never like your um i guess anxiety or insecurity or however you want to look at sort of that negative part of your brain uh it always will find a way to take new shape so like for me i'm someone who had, uh, like you were saying, I had some success like relatively young, and now I'm 29, and I uh, now it, you still feel like you have something to prove because you want to prove that you weren't um, 
just a, like a fluke or right. it wasn't just because you were young and stuff like that. So you still feel like now, like for me, like Conan, that's like kind of in the rear view for me. So I'm kind of like, all right, well, I, I would really like to, you know, accomplish some more things, you know, to, to, pr- to, pr- you always feel like you got to prove yourself to, or, uh, you know, people, uh, not necessarily are you still doing that thing, but you kind of get your own version of that, right, uh, yeah. from, from people in your life still of just like, how, how's that going? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's perfect like with that slight have... inflection at the end too. How is that going for you? Yeah. Cause it's, or the bar will get moved. Cause you like, if, um, maybe if like, say you haven't done late night, you're like, well, if I did late night, then people would, <laughs> would, uh, would understand. And then you, you do late night and then a few years later people are like, well, you don't have like a sitcom or whatever. So is that like working out? <laughs> you know, like there's people have all different frames of reference for like what a comedian is supposed to be doing, I guess. Um, it, it's a weird job for well, sure. I mean, and but, you, and you did move quickly and it was all based upon merit. And I kind of wanted to get into a little, uh, a little comedy nuts and bolts. A lot of our listeners, Brad, are people, are people who are just getting into comedy. They take the classes at the castle, which by the way, Brad Wenzel, uh, you took at least one of the classes, correct? I think you took Bill's yeah. class. So gosh. yeah, I took Bill's class. Yeah. When, right. When I started, I, I had done like two open mics and I took Bill's class. Well, there's, there's a great example for you listeners of someone who did very well through, through the castle classes. But for people who don't know, a great starting point. You've got a terrific album out, uh, came out a couple of years ago on Third Man Records called Sweet Nothings. And it is, it, you know, I listened to it this week. It's, I've probably listened to it a half dozen times since it came out. I still laugh as hard as I did at, at, at the beginning. But you are, for lack of a better word, you're not quite a one liner comic, but you're pretty close to it. Uh, you have a lot of quick observational comedy. And I always thought, of the different styles of comics that that to me was the most difficult because it's just you and your jokes. If your jokes aren't working, where do you go? Whereas a storyteller or something, you know, they can kind of pivot. I've always felt that for a one-liner guy, you just got to stick with the jokes you brought and and hope they go over. Um, Is that an observation that is accurate or do you feel differently? I, uh, I would say it is, um, it is like, it can be trickier and it's, it's, I think it's a little more ambitious than some of the other styles. Um, but what I will say is, uh, what was fortunate to me, uh, for me starting, starting in Detroit was, uh, even though I was like a one-liner comic, I still had to, you're forced to develop for lack of a better word, uh, chops, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, I'm, and I, people have kind of complimented me on this on the road over the years is like, I have my jokes and, but I, I'm present in, in the show. I'm present on stage. So if a joke, if the jokes aren't going over, I I can deviate in the sense that then the show becomes me commenting on the jokes, commenting on the crowd. Uh, I would prefer just to do the jokes, obviously. But I can, uh, or something happens in the crowd, I'm like completely comfortable reacting to that and riffing. Uh, sometimes you start with a riff depending on the show. Um, but because of just like, you, you can, I think sometimes if you start on the coast, you can kind of, uh, just do short sets in without having to deviate as much. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when you start in a, in a city like Detroit where, uh, it's just not, it's not always going to be a, uh, an easy time. You, right, right, you have yep. to develop those, those skills, you know? Uh, so like, I would like the, the nice scenarios where you can just do the jokes. Uh, but I've always, uh, it, that's, I guess, like a little bit of a point of pride that you can deviate and, uh, and, and be present and be, be not a robot right. uh, up there. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, just a product of doing, you know, different kinds of rooms and stuff. And I think sometimes that's like a stereotype of, a, of some of the more one-linery guys, guys who come out of coast and they don't, they don't have kind of those bag of tricks to fall back on. Uh, but I, I think just from, from doing the road and coming up in the Midwest and stuff, I can... I can kind of handle myself oh, okay. Absolutely. I always thought that that, gosh, from, from the loop that we play, that I still play here in the, in the Midwest, if if you can if you can keep the crowd with you against uh, against long odds in in the thumb or or in in Saginaw, <laughs> right, right. when you do get club weekends, it's just you don't even break a sweat. It's it's like Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. You develop those muscles and stuff. One thing that I. Uh, I have fond memories of and and curious. I don't know if I ever asked you or we talked about it uh, much back in the day, but um, it's corny to call anyone an old soul. Uh, I would like to find a different, (laughs) some different nomenclature uh, other than old soul. But just from the very beginning, your, your maturity, you know, referencing Bob Newhart, uh, referencing Bob Seeger, you really you, All the you, you don't seem that you were someone who was born in the early 90s. Does that come from the environment you grew, grew up in? I know I've met your parents at shows over the years. Where Did you come up in an artistic family or a family of educators? How did you know about these things as someone born in the early 90s? It's so strange because my wife's pointed that out, too. Uh, like, I, I, uh, I really enjoy music and stuff, but it, it wasn't so much... Like my my folks weren't really into that kind of stuff, like into comedy or music or stuff. Sort of the way I gravitated to it. I think it might have just been a product of kind of being in the sticks in yeah. Monroe and having cable, and you just like for people who I think were were sort of my age, you just had like this like cable was just. Um, because I was still young enough that I was, I was pre-internet in terms, you know, pre-high-speed yeah. internet. Right. I didn't have that until I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And so it was like just, uh, and even then it was, you know, on your desktop. That, so it was just like, I think just a lot of like pop culture stuff that you could you could get exposed to mm-hmm. uh, that, that you might not have. Like people, when I was like younger, people would always be like, there was this thing of like, how do you, how do you know about that? That's from before your time. And it was like for kids my age, it was like there was TV land and all these things that was like, no, that stuff's just on a loop all the time. Uh, in like when I was growing up. Uh, so I, I, sometimes I think it maybe is just cable or something that, but I've, yeah, I've always just, even when I was a, a, a little kid, I was kind of an old guy <laughs> in, in there. Uh, uh, like uh, my family always jokes, so, like my voice now. That's how I sounded when I was like three. <laughs> I had this like very raspy voice as a little kid. Uh, so, 
I've always just been kind of a kind of an old guy. But yeah, my wife said the kind of a similar thing where she's like, "Where does that come from?" Like, because I yeah. have like kind of particular tastes and things. And it, it, my 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 family wasn't really artsy in that way. It just sort of uh, happened. I, I don't know why. I guess I just say maybe it was. Uh, uh, cable. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, uh, like during the pandemic, one of the most comforting things for me is I watched old shows from the seventies. Like I watched Columbo. Uh, I, I think I watched all, oh, yeah. however many episodes and I found it comforting. There's also kind of a, a, a common thread with comics. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of my comic friends are kind of history nerds. I'm a history nerd as well. Does that hold true with you right. uh, in school? Was, was history your thing or were you not that interested? I liked history more of, I wouldn't say I was like a history guy, but I remember always enjoying it more than a lot of the other classes because there's kind of a story there. So it was a little bit more interesting or it felt relevant and some way go, oh, this is the way, why things are this way now. Uh, so I was, I enjoyed it. I, I like, I think more, um, uh, I do like more uh, kind of like history, I guess like both pop culture leaning like i i love a documentary i'll watch a documentary about like any musician regardless of if i'm even a fan i just love the story there yeah uh or in uh, or any comedy documentary anything like that i just love seeing people's arc and seeing that that story and, and stuff like that uh uh, and my wife Emily was a huge Columbo kick, so oh, I, I, cool. see, I secondhand watched a lot of <laughs> Columbo. I just got her a T-shirt with Columbo on it. Oh, awesome! Yeah, you can't you can't do wrong with uh, the yeah, the guest stars every week were huge too of the time. They were some of the biggest yeah. stars out there. Yeah, she's in love with uh, with Peter Falk. And <laughs> one, uh, it, it's a fun time in TV where they let like kind of goofy looking people on TV. They don't really do that anymore, right, so it's yes. fun just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you. I thought a uh, interesting, just something I'm I'm curious about is, you know, for any comic, the the different steps you take, and and one of the first big steps is is getting booked and getting work and then, and then getting attention and getting some buzz and then in your case you know conan and, and just for laughs so you had all these wonderful things happen to you and and as a result of your efforts and your work and your talent but now the reality is you've got to deal with the business side of showbiz and i'm wondering if in your experience was it anything that ever occurred to you as you were progressing that you would have to deal with the realities of getting booked and getting on the road and 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 keeping in front of agents and bookers and all this stuff have you found it difficult have you enjoyed it uh were you naive to it what are your experiences with the business side of this thing um i think it was kind of a mix bag in terms of like I think some of the bigger uh, industry type stuff like uh, TV and things like that I was like a little bit more naive because things did uh, happen really organically Mm -hmm. and so it was very like okay if you just kind of all I ever did was like you focus on the work and then stuff will come you know so I always just was focusing on on the stand up and getting better and then things would just kind of pop up on their own 
Whereas the like road side, like the booking side of things, that was pretty much always to this day just all me. Mm-hmm. So I was, I've always um, been like working on that, and it is, it has never really gotten easier. And that's right. always like a, a struggle. I never had. Uh, I caught some breaks, but I never had like a booking agent or any anybody like doing that for me. Uh, so that's always, there's always this, the independent contractor side of comedy that is just emailing and following up with people and meeting people and do it, doing well on stage and trying to get booked. And it's, uh, it, it's, it, that part is like not the most fun and pretty stressful, but it's just like, that's part of it. And I always, I don't always look at the stage time so much as like, obviously I'm trying to get paid, mm-hmm. but a lot of times I'm looking at it with like, the, I guess the, this sounds like lofty, but like the artistic goal in mind. So like, right. I, I headline as much as I can, but like I'm recording a new album in October. So to me, the, the priority is like, I need those 45 minute sets. I right. need, yeah. I need that amount of stage time and I can't get that in LA. So I'm sometimes I'm always looking at that. It's like, yeah, this is like not so fun. And it's very, it's a lot of emailing and it's a lot of, uh, 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 frustrating things. But then it's like, ultimately I'm trying to get those, that stage time so I can work on my thing. You know, it's, it's, right. it's tough. Cause like, I always envy like a musician can just like be in the studio and we have to like, our studio is, on stage and we have to get those bookings to, to pursue it. Um, and that's kind of the big game the the whole time. It's just like, I just want access to stage time. And that's, that's never really gotten easier. It's just changed, you know? Oh, for sure. I've always thought to the, you know, one of the great ironies is artistic types, um, generally, are generally are more sensitive uh we take we take rejection awfully personally and i always i always say uh like when when my friends or family they've seen me bummed that that an opportunity didn't didn't come come the way i thought it would have or i got passed over on something i always say the rejection they say don't take it personally i said well the booker is rejecting someone who looks exactly like me and sounds exactly like me and tells my jokes it's me it's hard not to you know if you sold widgets and somebody said no to you, you're like well i guess they're just they just don't need the widgets or they don't like it but it is no no matter how many successes you have the rejection side that is inevitable in this business it's hard not to take personally oh yeah definitely and it's like the old like saying like you're only as good as your last show right that yeah. that i found holds true it really doesn't matter what you've done or oh, accomplished absolutely. or whatever if the last show wasn't good you feel bad about it i think you handle it better as time goes on you can be more diplomatic with yourself uh but it yeah that that never that that never really <laughs> it goes away you know, uh, I know we've got to wrap in a minute, but one thing here in my notes and my questions that I wanted to ask you, it's more a statement than a question, but when when uh, when I used to run into at shows and, and, and we used to do shows together, 
I still regret to this time that I, I didn't talk to you more about General George Custer. Being a history geek and knowing that you come from Monroe, I always was so right. fascinated with, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, too, he, uh, you know, he practiced genocide against indigenous people, but was celebrated by a portion of our populace. He was a big deal in, in Monroe, Michigan. And I'm wondering, from an early age, did you know that? Was there any nuance to the way they portrayed George Custer in Monroe? It was, well, it was weird because there's this big statue of him. Uh, and it was kind of, honestly, I feel like the the earliest memories of the statue, it wasn't like there was this great reverence. Because I remember, like, some of the earliest thing I remember talk, being talked about was how in the back in the day, people used to paint the horses' balls blue. <laughs> and so... It wasn't, it wasn't as if there was like this, you know, just kind of there. Uh, and then when I got older, I kind of learned, I was like, oh, this guy kind of sucks. Uh, and then that, it's really fascinating, really like the, the legacy of like, I guess, I don't know if you'd call it propaganda or like the, his widow kind of making it her life's mission to create this kind of, uh, unwarranted sense of like importance around this guy where it was like, that's what's really interesting. We read about that. Like the, oh, I can imagine the, fa- yeah. the, the, the famous painting of him, like in battle, that's like kind of, it was in bars all over the country. It was because it was like a PR tour of just his widow going to all these bars and selling this painting and this like kind of a story. Uh, and so it's like, it was like the first, like, yeah, like PR campaign about something. I wonder if, uh, um, I'm, I'm surprised I don't know this, but has the, um, it, as you know, down south, a lot of uh, Confederate uh, statues have been removed. Some are, you know, it's 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 obviously a touch point in our culture right now. Is that statue still in Monroe? Has there been any talk about removing it? Uh, it's still there. I think there was something, I think I remember my, Dad, one I was home a few years ago. I think he said something about uh, there might have been some like Native American organizations who might have mentioned it or like thought about like had, had there was something going on there. And I was like, sure, get rid of it. <laughs> but, uh, I think there. I think always the sort of workaround they've had is so if uh, with statues like that, if your horse's hooves are in the air. It's to signify like you died in battle, I, and then wow. if you if your horse's feet are on the ground, it's this, it's uh, the whole the whole like notion is that the statue's supposed to be in honor of his Civil War accomplishments. So like they're like, no, he was like before that other stuff. He was like he did some good stuff for like the the North in the Civil War. Wow. Uh, so that's I think they're like sort of like. Uh, gray area workaround is they're like, no, this is all before that other stuff. But honestly, that statue, the history of that statue, it was like in the woods, like in this park completely covered in weeds and like brush for like decades and then got moved to this really prominent spot like uh, later. Right, yeah. So it's like there were decades where that thing, people didn't even know it was there. 
So it's like, yeah, I'll get around it. I don't give a shit. Oh, it's, it's funny. The times we live in now are so ludicrous that you couldn't even, you couldn't, all politics and history aside, you could not create a statue with anatomically correct horse testicles in today's environment. It would be too much of a touch point. Well, that's the, that's the fun part, you know, to eat the potato glue and stuff. I, I'm going to have to go to a Monroe school board meeting and see if they're teaching critical Custer theory. See if there's, I bet there's been some arguments on, on how he's portrayed in the school system. Who knows? Everything's an argument, unfortunately, in the world we live in. Well, <laughs> I've enjoyed this, man. I sure, not only do I miss you, but we're, we're just... We're all still so happy for your success. I, success. I can't believe it's. But gosh, what you've been gone for what six years now? When did you move? Yeah, yeah, yep. It was June 2016 when I left. Not six years. Wow, it has gone quickly. But we've been following you. You know that we're so happy for all your success, and can't wait to see you this weekend at the castle. Thank you. Likewise, I hope we cross paths soon. Thanks for thanks for having me. Take care, Brad. Thanks again. Bye bye. Brad is still somewhat legendary in our scene. Even some of the newer upcoming comics know of Brad Wenzel. Uh, But if you're not familiar with his work and not familiar uh, with Brad's comedy, again, pull down those Conan Conan appearances. And I can't stress enough, Sweet Nothings on Third Man is such a terrific record. Check everything that Brad's got going on at bradcomedy.com. And he'll be recording his new album this fall, so make sure you look for that. All right, next up, Drew Harmon. Drew is an outstanding comic. Really enjoyed meeting uh, Drew a couple months ago. You'll you'll hear in the conversation that uh, I actually thought I knew Drew before I actually knew him. I got him confused with another comic. Uh, But I'm so glad that I finally met him and was on a show with him. He, as you heard in the original intro, or... (laughs) Was that the original intro? What a stupid thing to say. The intro before this intro at the start of the show, uh, Drew is originally from the west side of the state, moved out to the west coast oh, about a dozen years or so ago, put in his time out there, was prevalent in the San Francisco comedy scene, which is a not only uh, a scene rich in talent, but it's kind of difficult to get a foothold in there and get established. Drew did that very well. Now he's back in southeast Michigan reestablishing himself i know he's going to do great if you're a booker listening to this program put drew on your show you will not be disappointed find everything that drew's got going on at drewharman.com and check out our conversation right here hey ladies and gentlemen on the other end of my line is drew Harmon. how you doing drew thanks for doing this I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Now, I'm I'm going to give our listeners and yourself some inside baseball knowledge on the inner workings here of <laughs> this <laughs> this podcast, but a lot of times I'll try and bang in three or four interviews uh, on a Monday and, and, and get ahead so I'm not scrambling and I always know I have interviews in the can. But because I've done my intro now, this is the fourth time I've done it today, Drew, where I say, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is... I've got to change it up somehow. What, what what should I go with? If you're starting the Drew Harmon show tonight, what is going to be your intro when you talk to a guest? Uh, let's see. Uh, as a comedy revolutionary and genius, uh, <laughs> you're all welcome for having me here. And uh, please enjoy and sit back and be entertained by my uh, blissful antics. <laughs> There. I'll pay you for that. Now I've got a new intro. Not only am I going to have a good conversation with Drew Harmon, but I can find a different way to change up. 
it is it is hard you know i i, I wonder when you get exposed to you know you and i are certainly anyone who does comedy and gets paid for doing comedy i guess you could say you're you're somewhere on the rung of the ladder uh, uh somewhere on a rung on the ladder of show business uh, oh yeah it's debatable what rung that is sometimes but <laughs> i've always been kind of interested in just the behind the scenes stuff and even even the, how the sound systems work in clubs and uh and and all that good stuff i'm uh i'm wondering of the things that interest you about comedy here's where i'm going with the question trust me i'll get there <laughs> we all want to be funny on stage we all want to do well but i'd like for you to name for myself and list in our listeners some things that interest you about the process of comedy that don't include performing or writing how's that for a question that is quite a deep question because uh, to most people it's the writing and the performing of comedy that are like the most uh, interesting or that's like top of mind of, of what's happening. Um, but for me, so um, the logistics of putting a show together are fascinating to me. I've run a few shows of varying levels of let's say difficulty right. and complication and the logistics of like, just to be able to walk into a venue and as an audience member, you walk in and it's like, okay, so there's, is there someone there to greet you or not? Is there, what's the, what's the drink situation look like? What's the food situation look like? How do you get those drinks there? How do you actually make the show function like a show is supposed to while the whole thing is also supposed to be focused on what's happening on the stage? Because I've been at clubs and other venues all over the country. Some of people do it really well. Some people don't do it really well. And also the, the fascinating thing about it is when someone gets to a point when they've been doing comedy a while and they decide they're going to start running their own show and they get you know set up with a venue and they start working with a venue. And of course, they think they know exactly how it's all going to work. Absolutely. And then how that stuff actually comes together of like, so, you know, it, it comes down to little minor discussions of um, the, the venue thinks it's going to be a two drink minimum. But as a comic who's running a show, you don't like a two drink minimum. So you thought that was going to be gone. But the day of the show, suddenly you get there and find that there's a on the menu, it says two drink minimum, things like that happen. And there's certain expectations um, and you got to deal with all those logistics. And so um, and as a comic, even when I'm not running a show and I just get to be the one who just shows up and I'm on the lineup, it's still, you can see, you can see uh, the person who's running it, the staff at the club or wherever you're at, they're, they're hustling around to try to make stuff happen. Or sometimes no one's hustling at all. And you can see that, <laughs> that coming into play and you could just watch it all happen. You're like, well, this is going to be a disaster um, because it's, it takes a specific kind of mindset. Most comics are not good at it. Right. Um, it's, it takes it's a kind certain of, kind of business. Yeah, yeah. Left side brain, right. You know, creative people sometimes aren't the best bean counters and what have you. And that, you know, the, the, the scenario in the logistics you were describing gives me some anxiety and, and some tightness in my chest because I remember when I first took that step of trying to produce a show myself is when you start doing comedy, the whole goal is to write and, and, and perform and, and, and learn how to ply your craft. But then when you've crossed that off the list and you want to continue, you have to learn all the things that you just mentioned. And it, it can give a new comic a lot of anxiety, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's a it's a huge mess, and it becomes it, like once you start to work on that. I ran a show for a while uh, where the whole point of the show was we would get someone who had never done stand up before, and they would headline a show at a comedy club. And I'm making the deals with the club. I'm booking the comics who are there, who are also supposed to help this person write an act. 
And so we're putting all of those things together while I'm also thinking about I've got to sell tickets. I've got to make my nut, so to speak, for the for the club for the night. Um, I've got to make sure this person has an act together. Uh, and I've got to have all these things in place. We also would create video content around the show. So we're like taping it. So I'm shooting that. I've got to you know direct it, produce it, edit it all of that. What I found was is that once I became more focused on making sure all those things got done, like I went from my jokes and my set being 99% of my concern to being more like three to 4% of my concern and all that other stuff take precedent because I've got to make sure, well, are the tickets up for sale? Is the, is the ticket site working? Is the, prom, is the promo up? Are we Do we have enough ads? Are we selling enough tickets? Is the pace good? Are the comics showing up on time? Uh, does this, is this right. person all set up? All of that stuff suddenly becomes top of mind. And even the day of the show, uh, we had one show where the person who was, who was doing the set, who was the new person, was stone cold sober. And it was a big part of their act because they had recently gotten sober. Um, and of course they, they invited all of their 12 step friends to come <laughs> and we're at a comedy club. And yeah, I, I never, I knew drink sales were a big part of it, but the night of the, of the show, the manager came up to me and said, so uh, a lot of ginger ales tonight. <laughs> and I knew that meant we were not, we were not exactly, uh, you know, shooting through the roof on drink sales and all that stuff. Just, it, it plays a huge role in that, you know, cause it's, the show is still fun and we sold a lot of, a lot of tickets, but still at the end of the night, I was breaking even and long-term as a, you know, as a showrunner, it's hard to keep, keep the energy going of like, well, I, I barely broke even after all of that work, do I want to keep doing it again? You know, it's, uh, it becomes a a whole logistical nightmare at times. So when someone can do it well, when you see that stuff and you, you see a show that's done well, it's just like chef's kiss, like fantastic. Like, thank you for doing it. And that's, that's a great shout out and free pub publicity to our mutual friend greg sharp where we met he runs a show in dexter michigan uh the beer grotto show we've had him on uh before with with him talking about the show but that's an example of somebody it's a diy show he got the buy-in from the from the bar owners and the venue and it's the pa's good it's lit yes. well they shut off all the tvs they it is a comedy show and and subsequently everyone's winning uh greg's doing well with it comics are good in good spots in front of a receptive crowd and the bar's doing well exactly yeah whenever when you see that buy-in and it just it's working and i got in to be fully honest when i was driving into dexter i'm like is there like everyone says the show is good how i I don't know this doesn't seem like a town it's going to be a warm weekly comedy show situation and then that was that's been one of my favorite shows um that i've done since i've been here in michigan it's been it was it's great and yeah plus one to everything you said uh, greg's doing a great job over there well one of the things that we try and feature here on on the comedy castle is we don't want to make you know we get the top touring comics in the world come through the comedy castle on a weekly basis and it's always great when we talk to them and hear their stories but sometimes that can't be real aspirational for new comics like wow (laughs) am i ever going to get to a tj miller or a dave attell level the reality of, of 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 where the system is now is you've got to have a diy attitude and be able to at least explore the possibility of running a show because sadly even in my time um you know i've been i've been on the scene in in terms of being a paid comic now for about a dozen years half of the weekends i would get have vaporized through the pandemic and slightly before there's just i wish there were i wish there were a dozen comedy castles in the midwest there's not there's just one so many clubs have closed that it really is essential to learn some of the things that you're mentioning 
It really is. It's and just to be able to kind of you know I, the comics that I've seen, the comics that I know that have been kind of you know, crawling their way up are completely on a DIY. Like they're doing club weeks as much as possible, but in the meantime, they're doing weeks where they're running to like Denver, Seattle, uh, Austin, those kind of places where there's clubs, but they you know they're the same thing. They're doing they, you know there's three or four spots a week for weekend work. Um, and they're, they're just finding the local showcases and there are a lot of great smaller, you know, DIY shows running all over the country. There's a great market there that, um, you know, stage time is, is everywhere if you know where to look, which is an exciting thing. And I've, I've done, I've done great rooms in laundromats. I've done fun rooms that are, were essentially like the commons area in condo buildings, like just comics. That's the great thing about comedy is that uh, if you have one of those guitar amplifiers, you can plug a microphone into and a, and a uh, spotlight comics will put a show on anywhere. And that's, uh, it, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't work so well, but sometimes it really comes together. I did stand up at a condo association's Christmas party years ago in a Santa suit. And ironically, <laughs> there was, there were old ladies asking to sit on my lap after the show and uh oh. and tell jokes i was like wow i never thought in a million years this would happen to me uh as as, as i was heading to my getting into my santa suit to do my stand-up show <laughs> <laughs> the things we'll do yes. for 30 minute sets and yes. you know 100 150 bucks and a meal ticket oh ridiculous i'm, I'm a narcissist and a leo it's just such a lethal combination <laughs> So you've got a real interesting story too, and that's another reason why I wanted to have you on the show. So, you um, you come to us, and I'm going to have to connect the dots because when we were speaking, there was also a comedy show going on. So uh, I was you and I, I was listening to you one ear and, and trying to pay attention to the show. But your your name is known around here. But you you came from the San Francisco scene. You had put in some considerable time in the San Francisco scene. You've been back here in this area, but that's where I, I that's where I lose it a little bit. Were you originally from this area and went to the West coast or can kind of connect the dots for, for myself and our listeners? Yeah, totally. So I started in Grand Rapids and Michigan in general. I started, it was about 2006 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was starting on the Western side of the state. So like Grand Rapids and that scene. And I made it over to, uh, connections in Lansing a couple of times and came over to do, uh, the seat, the mic in Ann Arbor, a couple other things here and there. But after about a year, um, my wife and I had some opportunities in San Francisco. So we went out there and I just plugged into the scene there and, you know, uh, hit it, hit it hard. I was, uh, taking advantage of San Francisco has a lot of stage time. Um, there's two major clubs right in the city. And then there's, uh, at any given time, there's three or four decent sized clubs and a lot of local shows. So it was, um, it was kind of a, I, I, I was coming from the Michigan area of like uh, being in the car a lot to go do sets and all of a sudden i'm in a in a city that's you know seven miles by seven miles and i was doing sets constantly so i was there for uh just under 14 years and it was late 2020 uh you know the the pandemic hit my wife and i were in a small apartment uh for 10 years Mm -hmm. the pandemic hit and we were both uh we you know our families are here all of our parents are still alive but getting a little old uh, we have a niece and several nephews that we were just we were just missing out on family stuff. And both of us had already been kind of thinking, like, maybe it's time to get out of San Francisco. Um, so we started looking at our options and our the option we liked the most was uh, coming back to Michigan. 
and buying a house around Detroit. And uh, the Detroit area has clubs. Uh, they've got a major airport because I still have my my California job. Mm-hmm. So I need to fly for work sometimes. So it all just all the pieces kind of came together. We found a great place and managed to uh, lock it in. And we made the move in late 2020. And it's been great so far. How are you finding the scene now that you've been back on the scene for, we'll call it a year and a half? Uh, have have you been welcomed with open arms? Are you trying to reestablish yourself here? Definitely still working to reestablish. I, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, we're still still pretty pandemic-y, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, at the beginning there. Um, and But I've been getting out a lot more lately, and it's been good. I found the scene, like, there's a lot of smart comics, a lot of really great shows. Um, definitely establishing myself. I was, I was definitely spoiled in that I had some experience in the San Francisco scene. I was at the point where I could walk into a lot of rooms, even if I wasn't booked on the show that night, or it was a mic, and I could bump in and get some time and that was that that's great as a comic uh here i'm not at that stage i get to reestablish myself but it's been everyone's been really welcoming and um it's been fun to kind of go through that process again when i know i'm at a at a higher skill level as a comic when i was trying to establish myself in san francisco is still pretty terrible um so you're like not only trying to establish yourself but you're trying to figure out how the heck to write a joke now I'm, I feel a little better about that. I'm a little more reliable on stage. And so I feel good. The, like the scene's been great. Um, the, you know, the comedy castle was fun. That was my first like full club weekend back doing a club week. Um, and, uh, did that last summer and in general, like, uh, just the scene, I'm enjoying the comics. I'm enjoying getting to know people. Um, and now that I'm older, I have a hard time piecing together. I, I remember jokes better than I remember names. Oh, so exactly. I'll, yes, exactly. I'll, I'll see, see someone's bit and I'm like, Oh, I know them. I've done a show with them before. Oh. Um, so I'm in that stage now, but it's just making the connections. Uh, but it's been good. I have, I have found everyone has been very welcoming and, uh, and, and kind. Well, and yeah, you may recall when, uh, when, uh, I did meet you formally a few weeks ago, I had thought that we had you on, on, on Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast, but I found out how I confused you with it. Now, knowing you a little bit and seeing your act, uh, I was way off. But there was uh, Mark did some one-off shows. I think this was in 2020 with a big, big Christian comic that I'm trying to blank on the Christian comic's name. He actually <laughs> had kind of a fall from grace, kind of a, a sex addiction scandal that you know I, I don't know what's become of him. But his opener, I remember, was a comic by the name of Drew Lynch. And uh, forgive me for my Drew confusion, but I could have sworn I had had you on the show before. But then uh, when I saw when I saw your act and you did terrific that night, I was like, no, he would not have been opening for a Christian comic. So (laughs) (laughs) my bad. Definitely not. I have I have worked G rated a few times. Not going to say it's my favorite experience ever, but uh, yeah, definitely have not ever been the opener on any uh, on any Christian comedy tours. Well, we've we've got to wrap in a minute. I and I've really enjoyed meeting you and hope to continue to connect and, and run out, uh, into you on the scene. But if, if if our listeners want to find out more about Drew Harmon, where you're playing, uh, where where do we send them? Yeah, just go to my website. It's uh, drewharmon.com. It's got all the latest dates, information. There's clips from uh, my stand-up. There's also clips from my show that I mentioned uh, called I Think I'd Be Good at That, where a new person does stand-up. Yeah. Um, so there's all, all the information you need and all the upcoming shows and ticket information for anything I'm doing. It's going to be right there at drewharmon.com. Well, awesome. I'm uh, I'm glad we got a chance to do this, and I'm looking forward to 
to seeing seeing you out there. Thanks again, Drew. Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate it. All right. I think that's a very good way to start the month of June. Thanks so much to Brad Wenzel and Drew Harmon for their time. Really enjoyed those interviews. It's going to be a great week here at the Castle. Come out and see a show. We hope to see you. Thank you, as always, to our terrific producer, Joel Fragameni, who makes the, sound, makes the show sound as good as it possibly can with all my tech challenges and issues. And I know he really had to work overtime on this one to cobble it together. So thanks to Joel. Thanks to all of you. Keep listening, subscribing, spread the word. For Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast, this is Tom McCarthy. Mm-hmm.